Amen. Well, we're there in Luke chapter number 9. And of course, we are in this series called Journey with Jesus, and it's a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And we are making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we are studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the, Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke is one of the most thorough uh, books, epistles, or Gospels that gives us the details about the life of Christ. And of course, we're picking up right where we left off in the previous passage we saw on Wednesday night that... The Lord Jesus Christ, we had the famous feeding of the 5,000. And in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18, we begin a little bit of a different section. And what we see in this passage, just by way of introduction, uh, what we're going to see in these several verses is a couple of things. First, we see an assessment of salvation. And then we see an assessment of discipleship. And it's interesting because as we travel through these verses, I think you'll see that in this morning's passage, we're going to see a few questions answered about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see the who, the what, the how, and the why of Christ. And it begins here in Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. And it came to pass as he, this is of course Jesus, was alone praying. His disciples were with him and he asked them. So Jesus asks his disciples, here's the question. He says, whom say the people that I am. He said, whom say the people that I am. And if you're taking notes this morning, and I, of course, encourage you to take notes on the back of the course of the week, there's a place for you to jot some things down. You can jot down this statement. We see here first the who of salvation. We see this question, and whenever uh, you see this question, whenever I see this question in the Bible, and it's found several times throughout Scripture, I always think to myself, this is the question of the ages. Whom say the people that I am? Jesus asks the question. He says he's he's here at kind of the height of his earthly ministry, and he's asking the disciples, people are talking about me, people are talking about my ministry. Who do they say that I am? Notice in verse 19, they answering said, John the Baptist, meaning some people are saying, this is the disciples speaking to Jesus, they would Respond, some people, Jesus, are saying that you are John the Baptist, but some say Elias. And Elias is the New Testament spelling of the name Elijah. He said, Some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you are Elias or Elijah. And others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. So Jesus asked this question. He's, he's asking his disciples, Whom say the people that I am? And they said, well, a common, common rumors or things that are going around is that you're John the Baptist, that you're Elijah, or that you're one of the old prophets that is risen again. And then in verse 20, he asks the question again, but now not in regards to who do people say that he is, but whom do the disciples believe that he is? In verse 20, the Bible says, he said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And this truly is the question of the ages. Who is Jesus is the question, uh, the, the most important question that you will ever answer because what you need to understand is as New Testament Christians, of course, our entire faith is built on the answer to that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And this is a question that every human being is going to have to wrestle with Everyone uh, that lives on this earth is going to have to wrestle with this uh, question of who Jesus is. In fact, it's interesting. We already saw this passage in Luke 9 earlier, but go back to verse number 7, because in Luke chapter 9 and verse 7, we have an example of, of this being a question that people are going to have to answer. Some people dismiss Jesus. Some people don't believe in Jesus. Others believe in a different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible. But either way, this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is the question of the ages. It is a question that everyone must wrestle with. Notice there in Luke 9. Now, it's interesting because in Luke 9, 18, Jesus asked, whom say the people that I am? And the, the response is, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some people say you're Elias. Some people say you're one of the old prophets. Now, in Luke 9 and verse 7, we, we saw Herod. Remember Herod? Luke 9 and verse 7. Now, Herod, the patriarch, heard of all that was done by him, referring to Jesus, and he was perplexed. The word perplexed means 
puzzled or uh, baffled, confused. He, he doesn't understand what's going on. Why is Herod so perplexed? Because that it was said of some that John was risen from the dead. Isn't that what we saw when Jesus asked whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist. Some people say you're John the Baptist. Well, Herod had also heard this rumor that Jesus was John the Baptist risen from the dead. Notice verse 8. And of some that Elias had appeared, and of others that one of the old prophets was risen again. So notice how Herod had heard all the same rumors about Jesus that the disciples are saying, people are saying about Jesus, that he was John the Baptist, that he was Elias, that he was one of the old prophets. Notice verse 9, and Herod said, John have I beheaded. So Herod is the man who killed John the Baptist, who had his head taken off. This is why he's perplexed as to who Jesus is because he hears about this Jesus and people are saying that it's John risen from the dead. And in verse 9, the Bible says, and Herod said, John have I beheaded. And then I want you to notice this little phrase and maybe you should even underline this in your Bible. He says, but who is this of whom I hear such things? And he desired to see him. This is the question that every unbeliever will have to answer one day. Who is this? This is the question that if you're saved this morning, you have already, and hopefully you are saved this morning, you have already answered the question, who is this? Who is Jesus? Who is? You say, why? Because Jesus is the who of salvation. He is the who of, uh, uh, of our faith. See, Jesus and the question, the answer to the question, who Jesus is, is what everything hinges on. I've often taught you this, and I'll teach it again. The ministry and message of Christ did not hinge on his miracles or teaching. Although, of course, his miracles and teaching were amazing, the ministry and message of Christ hinged on the claims that he made about himself. Our faith, you say, what is our faith in? Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he claimed about himself. And here's the problem with a a, a belief system on someone that claims, on, uh, uh, claims too much about themselves is, is that, that Jesus, he, he just said too much about who he was. Jesus claimed too much about himself. That's why it, it wasn't this idea when Jesus died. We often talk about this in Easter. When Jesus died, it wasn't this thing like uh, movements of this world usually have when their leader maybe is martyred and others take up the, the torch and, and, and continue that message. With Christianity, it was not so because the, the message of Christianity was not a message per se, but it was a man. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he died... What he claimed died with him. But when he rose, what he claimed rose with him. See, Jesus, he just said too much about himself. You're, you're there in Luke 9. Keep your finger right there in Luke 9. But find Matthew chapter 16 if you would. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 16. Find Matthew chapter 16 and then keep your finger there in Matthew 16. Go back to Luke 9. But let me just read some passages for you. You say, what did Jesus claim about himself? He claimed too much. Here's what Jesus claimed. He said, I am the bread of life in John 6, 48. He said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. He said, if you believe not that I am he, and that phrase, I am he, is a quote from the Old Testament, and it is a quote of deity, where the Lord in the Old Testament would say, I am he, and beside me there is no other God. Jesus said, if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins, John 8, 24. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, in John 8, 58. A claim to his uh, eternal existence. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. John 10, 9. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10, 11. Again, a claim to deity because the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. John eleven twenty five. 25. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. He said, I am the vine. John 15, 5. And this is why we have to understand that the question of Christianity is a question of who is Jesus? Was he who he claimed to be? And I believe it was. I hope you believe that too. You say, well, what makes you believe that? Well, notice not only do we see the who of Jesus, but we also see the what of Jesus. 
Keep your finger right there in Matthew 16. We're going to come right back to it. And go to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Look at verse 21. In Luke 9, 21, and what we really have in Luke chapter 9, for those of you that have been going through the gospel of Luke with us and studying the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 9 is really a transitional chapter in the ministry of Christ. The ministry of Christ is going to begin to look a little different than what we have been seeing in the Gospel of Luke. There's a transition here. In Luke 9.21, Jesus just got done asking the disciples, who do you believe that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the the anointed one, the one that is to come, Luke 9.21. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, verse 22, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be slain and be slain, and be slain. You say, why do you believe that Jesus was who he said he was? Because he is to be slain and be raised the third day. Now go to Matthew 16. Let me just show this to you. Matthew chapter 16. See, you say, but Jesus died. Yes, Jesus died. And when he died, his claim as I am he died with him. His claim as I am the door and any man that shall enter in shall be saved died with him. His claim of I am the way, his claim of I am the truth, his claim of I am the life, his claim of I am the resurrection, his claim that I I am the, the light of the world, all of that died with him. But when he rose again three days later, all of that was confirmed. It was confirmed and it was affirmed that he really was who he said he was. Matthew 16 and verse 15, notice in Matthew 16 we find the same parallel passage. What we're reading in Luke 9 is the same passage as Matthew 16 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says, And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. He said, You did not get that from flesh and blood. You did not get that truth from human beings. Beings, He said, Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now notice verse 21. Same chapter, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time forth, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. There's a transition here in the ministry of Christ. We've seen his popularity and we've seen his climax and we'll still see some of that. But there's a transition where things will begin to go down in a sense and we will begin to now head into Calvary, and, it, and I realize we're not even halfway through the Gospel of Luke, but there's a majority of this book that is uh, given to the death of Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice that here we have a transition. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Go to 1 Corinthians, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You're there in Matthew. You go past Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, into 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We have the who of Jesus, the who of salvation. And we also have the what of salvation. See, it's the who, Jesus, and it's also what he did to bring us salvation. What is it? And I realize that this is basic, of, of course, If you're saved this morning, this is basic to you. But it's a passage we find ourselves in, and it's something that is good to be reminded about uh, in regards to salvation. How was salvation brought to us? How was it purchased? It was brought through a who, the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was brought through a what, what he did. You say, what is it that he did? 1 Corinthians 15.1. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15.1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. I want you to make note of that word gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Here the Apostle Paul says, I'm declaring to you the gospel. I've already preached it to you. You've already received it. But I want to remind you what the gospel is. I want to declare the gospel to you. And then he explains to us what the gospel is. Now, before he gets to what the gospel is, he gives us all these uh, descriptions of what it is that we do with the gospel. Notice verse 2. He says, by which also ye are saved. So according to 1 Corinthians 15, 2, how are we saved? Through the gospel. 
The gospel is what saves us, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. He said, look, if you believe the gospel, then you are saved. If you believed in vain, then you're not saved. Why? Because salvation is about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How? Here's the gospel. Number one, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Number two, verse four, and that he was buried. And number three, that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, what is the gospel? It is that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. That's how you're saved, by believing that. Now, where does it say here that you have to get baptized? Where does it say here that you have to go to church? Where does it say here that you have to repent of your sins? Where does it say that you have to do anything in order to be saved? See, if you, if you believe that, well, I've got to do something in order to get saved, and I've got to do something in order to stay saved, you don't understand the who and the what of salvation because salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ and not what you did, but what he did on the cross to purchase our salvation. You're there in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me just show it to you further. Go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Go past 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter 3. We see the who of salvation. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the what of salvation. And the what of salvation is not that you got your act together. It's not that you started living right. It's not that you repented of your sins. It's not that you started going to church. It's not that you got baptized. It's not that you got off drugs. It's not that you uh, uh, turned over a new leaf. All those things are good things, but that's not what salvation is. So what's salvation? It's a who, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a what, what he did. Galatians 3, look at verse 10. For as many, for as many as are of the works of the law. Isn't that what the vast majority of false religions teach today? Salvation is based off works. They'll say, oh yeah, you got to believe on Jesus, but you also have to fill in the blank, whatever false religion. You also have to speak in tongues. You also have to get baptized. You also have to repent of your sins. You also have to endure to the end. You also have to whatever... For as many are as of the works of the law, don't, don't miss it, please. Galatians, I love Galatians because it's so clear when it comes to this matter. And the whole Bible, I mean, you can't read Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and walk away believing in a work salvation. But just notice these words. For as many are as of the works of the law are under the curse. If you believe you got to keep the law in order to be saved, you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed is every one that continueth not. You say, what's the problem with, with, with keeping the law? Here's the problem. Cursed is every one that continueth not, and don't miss it, in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You say, what's wrong with trying to keep the law in order to go to heaven? Well, here's the problem with trying to keep the law in order to go to heaven, that the rules are this. If you're going to keep the law in order to go to heaven, you have to keep the whole law. You have to do all of it. You can't mess up. Not one time. It's a curse because cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You can't do it. You say, I've lied before. Then you're already disqualified. You've already messed up. Look at verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God it is evident. Look, it's evident that no one can be justified by the law because in order to be justified by the law, you have to keep it completely with no sin, no error, no mistake, and you're not able to do that. That's why the Bible says, for the just shall live by faith. Look at verse 12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us. That's salvation. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. See, salvation is not that I did things, I did enough good things to make up and to be good enough to go to heaven. No, salvation is that God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That he died on a cross, that he took my sins, that he died, was buried, and he rose again. 
It's the who and the what of salvation. You're there in Galatians 3, go to Galatians chapter 2, look at verse 21. Galatians 2.21. I mean, this, this Galatians 2.21, if, if you say, well, I, I, don't, I still think you got to do good works. Galatians 2.21 just puts the nail in the coffin. It's, 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 the, it's the knockout punch for work salvation. Galatians 2.21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. You know what these works religions people, you know what they do? They frustrate the grace of God. Because what's the grace of God? The grace of God, grace, unmerited favor, is that I'm getting something I didn't deserve, I didn't earn it, I didn't do anything for it. It's not by works, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Notice, notice what he says. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Say, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If I could be saved by keeping the law, then why did Jesus die? If I could keep it up for the commandments in order to go to heaven, then why would he die? Why would he come to this earth and suffer on the cross and be buried and resurrect? If righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know why he died? Because I couldn't keep the law and you couldn't keep the law. From this passage, we see this assessment of salvation. What is it? It is the who of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is the what of salvation, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Keep your place right there in Galatians. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Luke chapter 9, if you would. Keep your place in Galatians. Luke chapter 9. In verse 23, we continue with these questions, who, what, how, why? Who, what, how, why? However, we transition a little bit. Because in the previous verses, we saw the who of salvation and the what of salvation. The who of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ, whom do men say that I am. The what of salvation is the fact that he should suffer many things in Jerusalem and be slain and be raised again the third day. But then in verse 23, we have a transition where we go from assessing salvation to assessing discipleship. Notice there in verse 23, notice what the Bible says. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me. That's not salvation. That's discipleship. Make sure you understand the difference. You can be saved and not be a disciple. Being, a dis- being saved does not automatically make you a disciple. That's work salvation, if you believe that. You can be saved and do absolutely nothing. Now to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You can be saved and, and, and work not, worketh not, do nothing. Why? Because salvation is paid by Jesus Christ, Period. But after salvation, God does want you to come after him. Luke 9, 23, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, those are terms of discipleship. Come after me, those are terms of discipleship. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. Notice these words, and follow me. Follow me. These are terms of discipleship. So we saw the assessment of salvation. What is it? It is the who of salvation. It is the what of salvation. But then now we see the assessment of discipleship, because these are two different things. You can be saved and not be a disciple. Some people try to be disciples and they're not saved. Example, Judas. We have the assessment of salvation. We have the assessment of discipleship. You say, how can I be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? How can I come after him? How can I follow him? How can I be a disciple? Two steps. Notice it. They're in our verse, verse 23. Step one, deny self. Deny self. Luke 9, 23, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, don't miss it. Some of you should underline this in your Bible. Let him deny himself. You say, what is discipleship? Discipleship is not living for self. Discipleship, because we're going to see here in a minute, it's living for someone else. But in order to live for someone else, you have to stop living for yourself. Discipleship is really 
self-denial, denying self, let him deny himself. See, there is a misconception that people have about freedom, especially Americans, <laughs> we as Americans. We talk a lot about freedom, but I don't think we really understand freedom. See, true freedom is not the freedom to do what you wish. It is the freedom to do as you ought. Freedom, see, people think, well, freedom is the, the freedom to do whatever I want. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist anywhere. You will always have a parent who will require something of you. You say, well, I'll leave the home. Okay, you'll have a spouse that'll require something of you. You say, I don't listen to my spouse. Okay, you'll have children, and they don't care. They will require what they wish from you. You'll have a boss. You say, I work for myself. You'll have, a, you'll have uh, clients. You'll have uh, people you uh, purchase from and you pay to and uh, buy your merchandise. Hey, we all have someone we have to answer to. You'll have the cops, you'll have prison, you'll have, look, you'll, you'll never get to the place where you just do as you wish. That's not what freedom is. Freedom is the ability to limit yourself so that others don't have to limit you. You know what freedom is? Is living within the laws of God so they don't throw me in prison and limit me. Discipleship is denying of self. It is choosing not to live for self. And let me tell you something. Self-denial is true freedom. You say, how can that be? How can that be? Here's why. Because when you die to yourself, all your selfish ambitions die. And you can learn. You can learn to be content and satisfied in the will of God. That's true, true freedom. Just yesterday, I was upstairs reviewing my sermon, working in my office. And my daughters, they had this music CD on, this Christian music. And they were just singing along with this CD at the top of their lungs. I mean, I thought it was beautiful. Others might think it's obnoxious, but there's a little bit of both. And I came downstairs, and they turned the CD off, and my wife and I were talking, and I just kind of looked around. I just looked around. So Saturday night, just got done reviewing my sermon, and my wife and I were spending time together and talking, and I just look around, and I, I, I see a couple of our girls in our playroom playing with something. The boys were doing what the boys always do, reading, and... Um, Two of my girls were playing spot it on, on a the, the little table, and they're just playing. And they're, I'm just looking around, and I was talking to my wife, and we were talking about the fact, I, I was talking about the fact that, you know, the, the truth is one day these kids are going to grow up and be out of this house. And, and we were just talking about, isn't it crazy? Because the, the truth is, depending on how long we live, we might live longer without these kids uh, in our house than we have them in our house. And uh, this, this, this idea that them being in our home is really just a phase of life. Now, it's a very long and expensive phase, <laughs> but it, it's, a, it's a phase of life that will be gone one day. And, I, and we were talking about the fact that, you know, one day we should cherish these moments because one day these moments are going to be gone. But I was considering the fact that, you know, right now, Saturday night, at home, sitting across from my beautiful wife, talking with my wife, looking out and, 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 and seeing my two daughters playing spotted. And I don't think they really understood the rules. They just kind of like to hit the cards. And, and they're, they're playing. And, and, and my son's uh, reading. And, 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 and I thought to myself, right now, right now, there's nothing I want. I'm satisfied. I'm just here to tell you, you know what you're seeing today? You're seeing a free man. There's nothing else I want. I'm not, see, you know what bondage is? Bondage is sitting in your home on a Saturday night saying, I wish I could be doing something else. I wish I could be doing drugs or drinking alcohol or partying or doing this. You know what freedom is? Freedom is living the life that God has given you and being satisfied. Say, where does that come from? It comes from denying self. 
It comes from contentment and loving God and being thankful for what God has given you. And I thought to myself, one day when my wife and I are old and our kids are grown, we will enjoy that too. We will enjoy that time. One day, Lord willing, we'll have many grandkids and we'll enjoy that time. But you know, right now, I'm not wishing my kids were gone. Some of you are. You're wasting your life. I'm not wishing people see that the, the life of a human being is always wanting something more, right? Little kids want to be older kids. Older kids want to be preteens. Preteens want to be teenagers. Teenagers want to have a license. Kids that have a license want to be 18. Kids that are 18 want to be 21. We're just constantly wanting something else. And you wonder why you're so miserable. Jesus says true freedom is found in being content with what God has given you and denying self. Does that mean we have everything we want? Does that mean there aren't things that couldn't be better? Does that mean that there aren't things that we, couldn't, uh, we, we wouldn't want to change? Of course not. But true freedom is found in denying self. So what does discipleship look like? Here's what it looks like. Let him deny himself. But it's not just that. It's deny self. Notice the words, Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Notice the words. And take up his cross daily. You say, what does discipleship look like? Here's what it looks like. Deny self, die to self. Deny self, die to self. You say, well, Pastor, you don't understand. I got all these desires. I've got all these things I want to do. I can't be happy. Well, you got to die to self. Go back to Galatians, Galatians 5. Galatians 5. You know what your problem is? You haven't died to self. Here's a question you should wrestle with. When did you die? When did you die? You know a problem many Christians have, Christians that are not happy in the Christian life, is that you've never died to self. Galatians 5.24, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. I've got all these affections and lusts. Okay, kill them. I've got all these things I want. Put them to death. Put them on a cross. This is the how of discipleship. Go to Galatians chapter 2. You're there in Galatians 5. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. It's the how of discipleship. How does discipleship work? You deny self and you die to self. You deny self and you die to self. You deny self and you die to self. You say, that doesn't sound fun. You know what the truth is? You actually have more fun. Denying self and dying to self. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You say, what is a Christian life? It is a Christian of dying to self. It is a Christian of dying to self. By the way, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, and take up his cross daily. You say, how often do I have to die to self? Every day. Every day. Go to 2 Corinthians. You're there in Galatians. Just go backwards. One book. 2 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And that he died for all. Look, if you're saved, don't you believe that Jesus died for you? Well, he died for all that they which live should. See that word should there? Should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, God does not require you live for him in order to be saved. Salvation is free. But if you really understood what Jesus did for you on the cross, you'd live for him. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. You're there in 2 Corinthians. Go backwards. One book. 1 Corinthians 15. Do me a favor. When you get to 1 Corinthians, keep your finger there. Put a ribbon or a bookmark there. We're going to leave it. We're going to come back to it. You can lose Galatians. 1 Corinthians 15. Let him take up his cross daily. Let him take up his cross daily. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. 
I protest by your rejoicings, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just don't miss these three words. Just don't miss it. Don't miss it. I die daily. You say, what do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. You need to wake up every day, look in the mirror, and say, I die daily. I'm not living for myself. I'm going to die to self. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. I die daily. I die daily. I deny myself. I die daily. That's, that's the how of discipleship. That's the how. So how does discipleship work? It works through denying self, dying daily. But then Jesus answers another question. Go back to Luke 9. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians. Go to Luke 9. Because he knows how we are as human beings, so it's the same question that you're asking yourself right now, possibly. Okay, I get the how. Deny self, die to self. Deny self, die to self. But why? Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to live a life of self-denial and dying to self? Here's why. Not only do we see the how of discipleship, but we see the why of discipleship. Luke 9, 24. For whosoever will save his life. You say, what does that mean, save? The word save means I want to enjoy my life I, want, I, don't, I don't want to waste my life. I only have one life, so I want to enjoy it to the fullest. Isn't that what the world says? Live your life. Here's what Jesus said. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. You say, what, what does the word lose mean? It means to waste it. Here's what he says. The very idea of I don't want to waste my life. I want to enjoy my life and all the things that I want to enjoy will cause you to actually waste your life. Whosoever, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Notice, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose, lose, say, what does that mean? It means to give away, to live for Christ, to live for others, to not live for self. Whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. You know, those who decide to live for others, they find in the end, that living for others was the best way to spend their life. Those who live for themselves end up wasting their lives. Those who live for others end up finding value, true value in their life. You say, I don't know, that, that makes no sense to me. That makes no sense. Okay, here's why. There's coming a day, and it's a day of great perspective. You say, what is that day? It's called the day of your death. The Bible says, and that is as it is appointed unto men, once to die, but after this, the judgment. Your life, there's actually coming a judgment called, if you're saved, the judgment seat of Christ, and if you're not saved, the great white throne. But just death itself, just living, being on your deathbed will be a great judgment of your life. It'll bring great perspective into your life. Unfortunately, it brings a perspective, a great perspective that comes at the end of your life that you would have benefited from if you would have lived your life every day in that way. See, at the end of your life, when you're 80 years old, 90 years old, 100 years old, whatever, when you're laying on your deathbed, ready to die, your life will narrow into great perspective that, at that moment. Great perspective that you just normally don't have every day unless you wake up every day and tell yourself, I die daily. You say, what is that perspective? It is the perspective of what was your life actually worth? Because here's the truth. When you live to gratify your own desires, not caring about the people around you, what the devil never tells you is that eventually the people around you will stop caring about you. When you live for self, you've heard me say this many times, when you live for self, you know who you end up with? Yourself. Not caring about those around you will cause those around you to not care about you. And one day you'll wake up and your husband won't love you, your wife won't respect you, your children will want nothing to do with you, you'll have ruined your testimony, you'll wake up one day with great perspective and say, I have wasted my life. I've wasted my life. You know, no one gets to the end of their life and says, I wish I would have been a little more selfish. 
The one great regret I have in life is that I wish I would have just drank more. No, nobody says that. The one great regret, now that I'm on my deathbed, I have great perspective. The one great, the biggest regret I have is that I was just too good of a husband. I was just, you know, I spent too much time with my children. You know what I really regret is just reading the Bible. All that time I spent reading the Bible, that's a big regret. I wish I would have just been more self. Nobody says that. You know what people say? I have all these regrets. I've wasted my life. I ignored my family. I ignored God. I ignored wise counsel. I live for myself. I've wasted my life. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, Jesus says. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Now don't miss it, Luke 9.25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Now I love Luke 9.25 because... Remember we learned this principle when we were looking at the Sermon on the Plain? Jesus often said similar things. And he often said things, the same thing in different contexts and, or sometimes a different thing that sounded very similar. Now, for many, when you read that, you think of a very famous passage in Matthew where Jesus says, For what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That is a very famous verse, and we often use that verse to talk about the fact, look, it doesn't matter how rich you are, it doesn't matter how wealthy or famous or successful you are, if you die and go to hell, what was the point? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Now, we like that because it's just about salvation. It's for the unsaved people. Luke 9.25 is the exact same principle, but here it's applied to Christians, not the unsaved. It's not about going to hell. Notice Luke 9, 25. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself? Not his soul. What does lose himself mean? It means to waste your life. If he gain the whole world and waste his life or be a castaway. You say, is this not talking about going to hell? No, this is, these are Christian terms. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me prove it to you. Luke 9, 25 is the Christian version of what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? Talking about a, a, a very successful, rich, wealthy man who dies and goes to hell. Luke 9.25 is the Christian version of that. Now, in the Christian version, you don't go to hell because salvation is who, the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did, and once you have it, you can't lose it. Say, so, well, what does this mean to be cast away? 1 Corinthians 9.26, notice what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 9.26, I therefore so run. This is Paul teaching us about how he did life, his ministry. I therefore so run. Remember, he's, he talks about running the race that is set before him. The Christian life is often uh, illustrated as a race. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Notice verse 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. What is this referring to? Self-denial, dying to self. Paul says, I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. I make myself do what I should do, what I ought to do. This is called character. It's called integrity. It's called making yourself do what you're supposed to do. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Why would I do that? Here's what. Lest, here's what Paul says, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. There's our word, castaway. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? So what does that mean? In 1 Corinthians 9, we have this analogy of sports. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Being a castaway is the equivalent of what we would call being disqualified. It, it doesn't mean that you didn't run the race. It just means that you disqualified yourself from winning the prize. Paul says, what would be the point of running a whole race, get to the end, and then the judges tell me, mm, sorry, you disqualified yourself. Remember when you went off the track for a little bit? You, you became a castaway. Remember when your foot was over the line? You became a castaway. See, Jesus was saying, what we often say to unsaved people is, what does the prophet of man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? 
What is the point of living such a successful, happy, just living your best life now if you die and go to hell? But Jesus says, what is a man advantage if he gained the whole world? If you live the exact same way, success, pleasure, lust, just doing everything for yourself, and you lose yourself or you become a castaway. You get to heaven and God says, sorry, your whole life was a big waste. You were a castaway. You got disqualified. You were worthless. I'm not talking about your value as a person. I'm talking about your value as a Christian. Paul says for that, you say, I don't like those words. Oh, really? Because Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses savor, it's good for nothing, and it should be trodden underfoot. That's what Jesus said. Not all Christians are created equal. You know that some Christians have greater value than other Christians? Why is that? Not because you're special or I'm special. It's because some decide to die for self, deny self, live for others, love God. And some are selfish. And nothing of value comes from selfishness. So Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Go back to our passage, Luke 9. Look at it. If you live for self, here's what Jesus said. If you live for self, you will waste your life. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Now, in that context is verse 26. Notice what he says. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words. Please don't miss this. Of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. When he shall come in his glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. See, if you live for self, you will waste your life. But if you live for Christ, you will actually make your life count for something. See, I hope, I hope, go go to Hebrews chapter 11 if you would. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll finish up right there. If you start backwards from New Testament, you have Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd, and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Remember the, the great perspective of death? What will your wife say if she was honest? Because people have the tendency to just lie at funerals. But if your wife was honest, if your husband was honest, if your children were honest, if your fellow church members were honest, if your neighbors were honest, what would you want them to say at your funeral? I don't want to waste my life. I want to enjoy my life. Okay, here's what they'll say at your funeral. He is selfish. She was just, she wanted to do what she wanted to do. You see, you know what we all want? We want people to stand up at our funeral and say, my dad invested in me. My, my mom, she sacrificed. My pastor, he was just there when we needed him. Isn't that what we want people to say? Well, you don't get there by living for yourself. And worse than that is the day of your funeral. You say, well, I won't be at the day. Of, I, I, I won't be at my funeral. I'm saved. You know what's really bad about, you say, I don't, the way I've lived my life, I don't want to be at my funeral. You know what's worse than being selfish and being at your funeral is being selfish and being in heaven during your funeral. You say, why? Because when you get to heaven, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me, Jesus says, and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Hebrews eleven sixteen. Notice what it says. But now they desire a better country That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not, don't miss it, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. You know, I don't don't want to get to heaven and find out that Jesus was embarrassed of me. That doesn't mean I'm not saved. First Corinthians teaches very clearly that the judgment seat of Christ, some people, everything will burn up, all the works they did will burn up, and they will be saved as of by fire. 
Some people are going to get to heaven. Look, I'm just being honest with you. Some people are going to get to heaven and realize and realize that they wasted their lives. And others are going to get to heaven and think, oh, no, I did pretty good. And then they're going to get to heaven, and Jesus is going to be like, nope, you were disqualified. You were a castaway. You disqualified yourself. I'm embarrassed of you. I'm ashamed of you. Enjoy heaven. See, the truth is that we should live for the next life. Go back to Luke 9. We sang it in our course of the week. And the hope of heaven's glories thrill me so. Where I'll live with Christ forevermore, I know. This is why the things of earth I loosely hold. I have eternal riches better far than gold. Oh, it is wonderful to be a Christian. Luke 9, 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. We have the who of salvation. It's Jesus. We have the what of salvation. It's his death, burial, and resurrection, nothing else. We have the how of discipleship. Deny self, die to self, daily. And we have the why of discipleship. Because whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save him. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray you'd help us to be Christians who would live for you and live for others. I pray that every husband here would realize that the best way to enjoy their lives is to live for God, to live for their wife, to live for their children, to live for a lost and dying world. I pray that every wife here would realize that the best way to save their life is to live for God, to live for her husband, to live for her children to live for our community. True fulfillment is found in denying self and dying daily. Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn that. Help us to live that. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.